friends, and welcome to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so excited to have you. I'm Stacy, and I co-host this podcast with my husband, Doug. And today, I just wanted to give you a brief intro into what we're going to be talking about. Phoebe Barron, who is the first person who we will have had three times on our podcast, is with us today. Phoebe is an LPC here locally in Oklahoma City, and we just always get great feedback anytime that she is with us on the podcast. This time we are talking about anxiety. We've talked about it before, but we're talking about it again because largely it is becoming even more and more of a problem. More people are suffering with anxiety, and we don't want to pretend it's gone away just because we've addressed it one time. Phoebe is very experienced in her practice with uh, trauma and anxiety, so we know that with the way that she has of explaining things through word pictures and just also with her knowledge and the facts that she has to bring to us today, that this is going to be awesome. Now, we were going to split this podcast into two separate episodes. It's a little lengthy, but we're going to keep it as one episode. The reason being is we want you to be able to listen to it when you want to and not have to wait for the second part of it to come out a few days, maybe a week later. That in itself, when I'm thinking about it, provokes anxiety. So anyway, um, we have it all here for you at the same time, and we hope that you'll enjoy this. We hope you gain a lot of knowledge from it, and we also hope that you gain comfort from it to know that you are not alone once again with all that we talk about here at Speak Out Loud. You are not alone. I hope you enjoy this episode, and here we go. Phoebe Barron. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. We are really excited for this episode, We sure are, yes. Um, We have our dear friend, Phoebe Barron, who is back with us today. Now, she's popular on our podcast, so you might want to um, really listen in on this one. Uh, Even if you have to split it up a little bit, we want you to know something about Phoebe. She has a very smart way of making complex things understandable to us. So, um, like... If you're like me, I suffer a lot with anxiety, Um, and if you suffer with anxiety at any level, please um, listen to this podcast. I think you will come out of it very encouraged and also with some great tools that are very applicable. Um, They're not confusing when Phoebe talks about it. So, Well, and that's, yeah, one thing, I mean, we we might have to go back and look at some of the material pre-episode today. Yes. Because uh, I was just joking with Phoebe that if we went on much longer, we'd have to pay her for a session because uh, yes. she Jeez. was, uh, we were getting into a great discussion and talking about <gasps> some stuff that's, um, hey, we, we've already figured out it's going to be a future episode maybe later this fall. So, that's right. Yeah. So Phoebe, tell us about you. Hmm. Well, <laughs> what's funny is like a lot of things have stayed the same. Some yes. things have changed. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so I'm still in private practice in Oklahoma city mm-hmm. and, um, I have also, uh, picked up a position as a professor at, um, a seminary in Kansas. Okay. And so, um, I will be teaching counseling classes throughout this year. And, um, mm-hmm. I taught, um, as a supplemental faculty this past summer. And so, um, was able, I haven't taught and probably about a year or two. And mm-hmm. it was just so nice to be mm-hmm. back in the classroom. Um, 
it was online, but, you know, sure. it was still just, like, live, getting to interact with students. Mm-hmm. I love, like, you know, staying afterwards and, like, talking about the people that they're seeing as, uh, like, behavioral health specialists or, you know, like, in whatever positions they're in now. And so um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to do more of that this year as awesome. well. That's awesome. That's great. Is that going to be virtual? Like, or is that going to be in person when you can you have to drive um, to Kansas so, to teach? Right, right. Um, so it is um, this uh, term, it's going to be virtual online okay. classroom. Okay. Uh, probably same for next term. And then next summer, um, I asked the director if I could teach a, a one-week intensive. Awesome. Because uh-huh. this last summer, I realized um, that with my big kids coming home, for the summer, mm-hmm. um, my normal quiet hours, which would be the baby's nap time on Tuesday, Thursday, and Wednesday afternoons, uh, were then all filled with noise. Now, mm-hmm. one of that was teaching my class, sure. which I loved, um, but I just realized like I had really gotten adjusted to those silent times, and sure. then they were all taken away from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, about three weeks before summer ended, I was like, I, I'm, I, I'm struggling. And then I was like, okay, we've got two weeks and then vacation and then school starts. And then I'm back into quiet hours. So, yeah. And on top of this, Phoebe is the mother of three. So yes, this is awesome that you can juggle these things so well and we are going to definitely see how you're doing in a few weeks <laughs> yes well school's school's back in session yeah. so i am doing so great you're okay. okay i am not necessarily a summertime mom mm-hmm. okay it's okay and that's interesting because one of the questions we had sent you was just to kind of ask you as we get into our, our topic today was hey how was your summer so I really, it's interesting, <laughs> and, I, and I thought about that later. I thought, you know, when you have three smaller children, summers are often not restful, peaceful, relaxing. Mm-hmm. They are kind of mm-hmm. chaotic, I'm sure. I want them to feel like their summers were restful and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I had to make the decision, like, am I, are, what's their memories going to be like mm-hmm. of summertime? Mm-hmm. And my memories are, like, just chilling at home, mm-hmm. watching way too much TV, sure. playing outside some. And and so I thought, I need to, like, take away the comparison of everybody's highlights on Instagram. Mm-hmm. The, because they're not going to the zoo every day. They're just right. at the zoo right. today. Yeah. Right. Right. And then in my mind, it's like, they're the fun mom giving them all the memories. <laughs> and and I was just like, no, like, we'll, go, we'll do some fun things. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just chill at the house. Yeah. That's and right. That's fine. Yes, we took up tennis in the street, Tracy and I did. I mean, hey, didn't go anywhere. We were just I love that. (laughs) Um, Having a lemonade stand. I mean, we were just like pretty basic. Mm -hmm. But you sound like I would want to be in that home. I know you're doing a great job, Phoebe. So let's just kind of dive in here. See what's been going on. Sure thing. Well, and, and Phoebe, and for our listeners... You have followed along. You'll know that Phoebe is our first, third time repeat guest. Yes. So we're excited. <laughs> uh, we've had Phoebe a part of the podcast um, each of the last several years that we've been doing this. And we're really excited to have her back with us today. Just for you, our listeners, we would love for you to go back. We Episode 9, we had a chance to interview Phoebe specifically on the topic of anxiety. Uh, episode 15, so we actually were recording that about this time last year was focused on trauma, which those are two areas of Phoebe's practice where she specializes and works with many clients in those areas. Today, we are coming back to, to revisit the topic of anxiety. And, and part of what we had shared with Phoebe even was, we feel like we're probably going to cover some ground we covered maybe in episode nine, 
or episode 15 with Phoebe, both because they both have impacts there. But we know the topic is so large, and so many people are experiencing mm-hmm. struggles with anxiety. I think for Stacy and me, every time, not every time, but most of the time, we have conversations with just friends, people we're connected to about mental health issues. It seems like the struggle with anxiety almost always comes up. That's right. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's very prevalent today. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. We really wanted to get into this. And and really, Phoebe, this is not the third time. This is the fourth interview. Phoebe's so patient with us that last fall, we recorded yeah. with Phoebe. I remember that now. And as we were, we were learning some of our new technology we were using at the time, we just didn't record it right. And so I listened to it and had to call Phoebe back and say, would you give us another interview? Because And she was very gracious to do so. Mm-hmm. So I've double-checked everything. So I think today we're, we're good to go. <laughs> but yeah, Phoebe, so welcome. Welcome back. Our our uh, our listeners, I know, appreciate you. I was just hearing from some of our friends this week who listened faithfully, and they don't know you, but they were telling me that some of their favorite episodes have been That's right, your interviews yeah. with us, mm-hmm. and they now follow you on Instagram, and I think you're mm-hmm. a great source of encouragement for them. So with all that, let's jump into some of the things we wanted to talk about today on this big, it just feels like this big kind of what the, the, the monster in the room, right, mm-hmm. for many, many people, I'm mm-hmm. sure is this the issue with anxiety. So to kick it off, I honestly had kind of an open-ended question for you. So you're a licensed professional counselor. You are active in your practice. Certainly we know we're not asking questions about specific clients or cases, but just in a big picture, what are you seeing, Phoebe, um, in your practice as you treat clients struggling with anxiety? Is it on the rise? I'm sure it is. But just kind of what's that big picture you're seeing? Well, If you've tried to get into a counselor in the last two years, you will know that uh, everything must be on the rise because no one has openings. That's right. And I think part of that is people trying to get into therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that, too, is like therapist burnout. As right. well, especially oh. especially now, okay. um, I'm I'm seeing more colleagues going. Ah, you know, there was a time in my life where I could see 25 people in a week, yeah, and now it's 20. Mm-hmm. And um, I always encourage that. I know, and I, and I get the like angst of like I want to help all the people that I can, right? But if I want to help the people that I'm seeing, mm-hmm. then I need to be in a healthy spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's part of why we're seeing so many people on wait lists or just, you know, just getting no's or, um, Hey, therapists out there, email people back, even if you're telling them no. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. It's nice. Um, (laughs) and it's good business practices. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely seeing anxiety specifically on the rise, even more so than depression. And I don't know if that's because I'm specifically like, Hey, I see people with anxiety, but people who, uh, you know, were, were making progress or felt like they were in a good spot coming back into therapy. And, um, just overall, I think, you know, the pandemic really just stripped away things that we were using as coping mechanisms. And some of that is like, it feels bad right now. It feels like anxiety now, Mm -hmm. but really that thing I was hanging on to was not necessarily the healthiest thing either. Sure. Yeah. I know for me that life has been um, difficult and hard at times with the challenges that I've had, but they may be different than what other people have experienced. But people seem to be either resilient or frail. 
and I'm somewhere in the middle there, and that's where my anxiety is super strong. Um, so we talk about resilience on the podcast. We talk about sometimes how frail I do feel. I don't feel well emotionally, and that um, goes over to also the physical side. And we've done some podcasts even out of our house just to keep on schedule for them, but just not feeling like really being really inundated with life very much with with the anxiety and depression. So having said that, um, that experiences um, with debilitating anxiety seem to only be increasing like you were just talking about. For people who've had lengthy battle with anxiety and for people who have never struggled with anxiety until only recently. And I know with everything, we go back to COVID. But aside from that, with that, whatever, what do you believe are some reasons for continued increase on the experience of anxiety? Man, so many, uh-huh. so many. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people are weary. Yeah. And and even if we go back even further, right? So, like, I talk a lot. I mean, I am a millennial. I talk a lot sure. to millennials. And there are a lot of good millennial meme accounts on Instagram, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that I yeah. love. Yeah. yeah. That I love. And they're all, like... You know, uh, I'm 35 and I don't have kids. And it's like, well, I graduated from college in a recession. Yes. And then, and it just goes on from there, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. most of us have spent, as millennials, have spent our entire adult lives just in one national or global crisis after another mm-hmm. is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And so there's an instability, I think, that we are aware of that's, you know, in our communities, in our nation, in our world, uh, mm-hmm. that may or may not have been present previous. I don't know. My like memory comes online about 1995. So sure. I don't really know sure. <laughs> uh, before then. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that the the ongoing anxiety that people feel honestly makes sense to me um, sure. is what I want to tell people first, like that, that it makes sense that mm-hmm when you go through crisis after crisis and then you add in the personal crises on Mm -hmm. top of the national global community crisis and, and it just makes you weary. It does. Um, It does. And it, and it beats you down and you know, you can batten down the hatches for one storm, but if you don't have enough time to rebuild in between storms, Mm -hmm. then, then you're, you're just hiding away in like a a Mm -hmm. house that's halfway broken. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it just makes sense that, so many people are now into the point of debilitating anxiety or people are getting into anxiety. They're like, I've spent my whole life, you know, I'm, I'm 65 and I spent my whole life and never been anxious. And it's like, well, we've been through a lot. Yes. Yes. It's almost, I mean, that is the perfect illustration. You're so good with word pictures. Um, that's, that's exactly what happens. You don't ever have time to regain any momentum whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the people that we have, you know, been in community with and everything like that, I feel like just like if I could just have time to catch my breath. Mm-hmm. And um, since they don't um, usually have that, it's resulting in maybe low doses of medication. You want mm-hmm. to speak to that? Maybe? Yeah. Well, and before even getting to medication, I think you hit on community. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really good point, too, is to, to look around and go, if you don't have 
a whole lot of community or your community is also in their own personal crisis right now. They can't come and and help you and be as available to you as as they can when they're not in crisis. Mm. Um, And sometimes, you know, I look around friend groups and it's like we're we're all rushing to the person with the biggest crisis, but Mm. we're also like coming there with a load of our own. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so, again, with the storm analogy of, like, I can fix my house a whole lot faster if I've got a bunch of, like, good, healthy, strong people around me. Mm -hmm. But if they're also dealing with crisis, but they're just, I just happen to have the biggest one in the moment, Mm -hmm. then it's helpful. It's good. But Mm -hmm. it's it's so much. It's so much. We don't want to make this a um, generational Kind of right. podcast, but but Stacy and I are proud Gen Xers, okay. which there are also some great memes out there uh, <laughs> I just don't for Gen X. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> they're all about like not caring what they're about. You know, like Gen X. You know, we're so, so we're I'm at hearing, that place. So. I'm hearing the Gen X coping mechanism was like. I'm just going to bury my head and not care about it. Exactly. Yeah. Probably and maybe it'll go that. away. Yeah. And why are these people struggling so badly when I've been through so much and I'm okay? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just like denial and I don't want to be around you. <laughs> and I also wonder, and again, we're going to talk in a minute about technology. We have some specific questions for you about that. But again, again, not trying to fully date us, but I can remember growing up and even through my teenage years, even to when Stace and I were young adults, the world was just smaller for us mm-hmm. because, you know, spe- I grew up in a small to mid-sized town here in Oklahoma and my world was just really what was around me, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. I was not connected outside of that town and maybe to family and, you know, things like that in other places, mm-hmm. but I didn't have anything on my possession that would, that would help me know, oh, this is going on in this moment in New York City or this crisis mm-hmm. is happening in some other part of the world. I might, maybe at some point in my life, I would watch the news or my parents would watch the news and you'd see something. But it was, I was very disconnected from that. And I would say even up into our, um, you know, I I distinctly remember we were uh, young adults living in Dallas, uh, didn't have a cell phone at the time. And, you know, I didn't know for probably three or four hours, we weren't living here in Oklahoma City, that the Murrah bombing, which is a very, you know, just everyone in Oklahoma City, that is a life thing we've we've all noted and just our, our lives are kind of like pre post mm-hmm. where were you when that happened kind of thing and i didn't know about it i wasn't even but i think too a lot of times the more we are whether it's online or from our device or on the news or whatever we're watching if we're experiencing something we at some level are engaging in it mm-hmm. we're engaging at least in absorbing some of that experience that trauma in our minds and i'm just wondering if that may be playing into some of our experiences with anxiety today, is we're just so much more aware of everything around us, around the world, and mm-hmm. not just kind of what's in our, for lack of a better word, bubble or our life just right around us. Mm-hmm. And we just weren't, we're not capable of dealing with all that. I mean, yes and amen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's all just toss our phones. No. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I, I completely agree with that. So, um, I, I also like uh, low-key love sociology. So that makes total sense to me. So I love looking at the 30,000-foot view of, like, what's going on here and what what's happening in, in the broader culture that's 
bringing on these events in people's individual psychology as well. So mm-hmm. um, I think you mentioned online, but it's not even just the internet. I think it's specifically social media yeah. because basically I feel like until, I don't know, 2010 or so, the internet was like, you go and play games on the internet or like look at a news source, but you had to like type in a website and go there. And that was specifically where you were going mm-hmm. um, versus I get on a website and I scroll and I see what everybody's talking about. Yeah. And um, I'm inundated with that. And we want to care for other people. We yeah. want, and we're interested in what's happening, but our capacity to, I think the wider we start to care about things, mm-hmm. the lower the depth of capacity we that have totally to care about makes those things. Sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's so I true. So. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I think if we want to go back to community, I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. to make this whole episode about community, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it that like, if I am caring about the crises all over the world mm-hmm. in, and I'm like reading about them and I'm reading people's stories and I'm like getting and, and say I'm listening to something while I'm like doing housework and things like that. Like I'm still being productive, but I'm using that well of compassion on people that my compassion is not impacting. I yeah. see. Versus yeah. if I'm, talking, texting with a friend or Marco Poloing or what, you know, however you're going to communicate with your friends these days. Because technology is a great thing for that too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm communicating back and forth, then that compassion, I'm using it in a way that's impacting someone in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So whenever I see world events happens or uh, national events or something, Mm -hmm. I I really go like, how am I going to care for this? Mm -hmm. Usually it's like, I'm going to pray for this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find some place to donate money or resources. Mm-hmm. And and that is it because that's all I can mm-hmm. do yeah. for yeah. for the parents who lost their child or the people in Ukraine or that that's literally all I can do. And and we've got to say like and that's enough. Sure. Like yeah. prayer is enough yeah. is good. If I believe in it, then mm-hmm. I need to believe that like it's the best thing that I can do if I can't be well, and it might be the best thing I can do, even if I could be hands and feet yeah. sure. on the ground. Sure. And I think we're not, certainly, we're not saying, oh, get rid of your technology. Oh, right. Don't engage. And I'm not trying to push that. At the same time, I think we have to be aware the the increased use of technology, the, the just massive level of interconnectedness we've all experienced, no matter what generation we're in. It's just something that's never happened before in the history of the world. And so I think you can definitely tie to that, I think, rises in anxiety with this level of interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. And if that level of technology and interconnectedness is going to be there, we, and one of the reasons we're so excited to have you here is we just need to be better prepared to deal with increased levels of anxiety between what we might experience and what others might experience in our families and our friends and those around us. And it's, that probably is going to be there to stay too mm-hmm. because just of how we're wired. And I think we've got to really analyze our use of technology as well. Um, I have told multiple friends in my life, like, quit reading the news. Like, stop it. Um, Give yourself a a limited amount of time Mm -hmm. and and make sure it's a time within your day that you have to recover from it. Like, Like, if you stay awake all night thinking about the crisis in you know, fill in the blank, then you get to read the news for 30 minutes in the morning and, and know and trust that like, if something crazy happens, you will find out about it. Okay. In, in a timely enough manner. I don't need to be the first person that 
needs to know about the thing that happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. so I stay pretty connected to like local news because mm-hmm. that directly affects me, right? Sure. If there's a if there's a chase on two thirty five, <laughs> I need to know so that I'm not like trying to get to dance yeah. class, you know. <laughs> but if there's you know something tragic that happens in Europe, I want to know about that, mm-hmm. but it should not affect my day. Yeah. yeah. Um. So like, who are you following? how many people are you following? Right. Like, do you need to follow every person you've ever encountered? Mm -hmm. Because for my generation, that's it. Like we've been collecting friends on, on social media since high school. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to have everybody on my social media. Now to say people do need to follow Speak Out Loud podcast. Right. Right. (laughs) This is going to add to their life. Because this is a source of hope. (laughs) Yeah. Don't Uh, cut us out. Even if we've never met you, don't cut us out. That's right. And we're experiencing so much of this in real time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to kind of stop and turn around. It's like, oh, wow, my life has changed dramatically in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And everybody could say that. But, I mean, just the, the human experience of life has changed dramatically because of um, just, yeah, technology, interconnectedness, Internet, mm-hmm. our ability to know everything almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And let's also face it, we're coming at this too, these topics from our personal lives. We have a very strong faith perspective. We have a trust in Jesus. The world is becoming a more difficult and chaotic place. And I think it's just, you know, maybe it's the, inter- the knowledge we now have, but we can see the breakdowns of the world at a deeper level than we mm-hmm. could before. And maybe it's because we can know what's going on everywhere. and We can learn about almost every injustice that's happening. And they've probably been happening for years and centuries. But at the same time, we're now trying to figure that out, sort it, absorb it, absorb it on an international, global level, but also then figure out, well, how does that play into my life? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot to take in. And I think on the anxiety, like how do we how do we have hope? How do we build resilience? Is to look at that in in the perspective of eternity too. Yeah. That um, I love what Paul talks about in Romans, where he compares what is happening to like giving birth to to the new creation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and like in birth, since I do have three biological children, <laughs> right? Like there are waves of contractions, mm-hmm. and then there is a beautiful, blissful stillness in between them. Mm -hmm. It is a moment and a connectedness to God in my body and what I'm doing that will never be recreated. That's right. And it's beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. And there is just a peace in that stillness in between contractions. And, and so I love the analogy of giving birth because there's an end to it, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's an end to this as well. And so to think of like, if we go, gosh, the last 20 years has been crazy. I think oftentimes we want to jump to like, when's it going to stop? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think we need to look forward and hope for a still period. But we don't know when that is. Yeah. But we can always look forward to and hope for new creation. Yeah. Um, that like that That's is really when right. every tear will be wiped away mm-hmm. and when God will deal with injustice ultimately. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that eternal perspective yeah. can really give us hope. That's I great. I mean. I've read some things recently. I've really become a big fan of a few authors where they talk a lot about God has imprinted Eden on our hearts mm-hmm. where things are perfect. And, and and as much as we want to try to recreate that here, and maybe it's even just by like going off on a really great vacation or, 
you know, for us that live in the plains in Oklahoma where it's 100 degrees and everything's brown and dry, you know, we want to get to the mountains, we want to get to the ocean to see kind of these, these things of beauty and grandeur. But, but those things are just temporary glimpses. Mm-hmm. And even just the freedom from, Stacy like mental illness and struggle, our hearts long for a day when we are free, when you are free of those things. Mm-hmm. But, but there is a day coming. I love how you said that, Phoebe. There's a day coming, there's a time coming where everything that's wrong will be made right. Mm-hmm. Everything we've loved will be renewed. And, and while we want to strive for that and work for that and work for justice and, and make this world a better place, it's not going to happen until the new creation comes. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're created internally or, or inherently to long for that. And maybe that's even part of anxiety is we know that things yeah. are not right and we can't, as hard as we try, we can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And we have to then apply our faith and our trust that there is that day coming. And those that trust in Jesus will get to experience that and live in that for eternity. Wow. We've kind of jumped into a lot of great stuff off of one or two questions. Well, let's go back for just a second. We kind of touched on even the words of medica- word of medication. And Phoebe, would you talk with us about um, how medication can really work? Uh, in my life, it takes the edge off so that I can make wise decisions Mm -hmm. um, so that I can realize that my sensors don't have to be screaming. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, I've heard the analogy before that anxiety, if I'm just sitting on the beach and I scoot out to the water and let a wave brush over me and then I can breathe again, it's really helpful for me to know that that wave will wash over me Mm -hmm. and I can breathe again. So what is your take on medication with this? So I, I I am so pro-medication personally, yes, right? So are we? Yes. Sure. Yeah, so absolutely. Fun. But I know a lot of people, and I think particularly Christian people still, mm-hmm. struggle with taking medication for mm-hmm. mental health reasons. Mm-hmm. We don't struggle when we have strep throat. Yeah. Right. We don't struggle when someone is diabetic. Mm-hmm. We don't struggle when someone has cancer. Right. But right. we struggle when it is specifically to help. Uh, a mental disorder. I get so frustrated with that, to be completely honest. Sure. Well, the thing is, the thing that we have found is it just, I'm on a lot of medication. And sometimes I'm like, I'm so tired of medication. But without it, it's not like it fixes everything in the first place. Right. It doesn't do that. So it's not like I'm copping out and coming over here and going, okay, now I don't have to deal with anything. Mm -hmm. What it does for me is it just kind of slows things down a little bit so that I can actually have a chance to fight. Mm -hmm. And I need to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to know that I'm an active part of what's going on with my mind. And I think, Phoebe, to, to what you just said, I think a lot of people wrongly feel this way for some reason, and maybe it's more of a judgmental thing for others, is somehow they view that taking medicine is taking the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, Stacy. we've sensed that before in our own journey. I, I feel like a lot of people sense that, and just subtly that message is shared or communicated. Uh, one of the best things that was so helpful to us early on in our kind of journey and walk, and, and Stacy beginning on some medicine years ago, was this at best, levels the playing field Mm -hmm. to enable a person with a struggle to then try to deal with it. And that may be through cognitive therapy techniques, through counseling, 
through all kinds of treatment procedures, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to take this magic pill and all my problems are going to go away and I don't have to, to work anything or change. It's, it's simply to give you the ability to maybe, okay, I can think for a little bit, take some of that, that edge off, and, and now, you know, work with my therapist and learn techniques, learn tools and practices um, to put into place. And not that even if, med- let's say this, even if medicine did fix your problem, that's not wrong. Right. It's not like, oh, you know, somehow you copped out on something. It's just, for most people, that's not the experience. It's like the medicine helps me, but I've still got to do all these other things that are part of my recovery to, to live healthier and to walk just in a better place. I think it comes down to the thought of what what do we think mental illness is in the first place? And if we think that mental illness is a character defect and a sin issue, then yeah, you're probably going to be anti-medication because mm-hmm. you're going to be like, well, you need to be dealing with your sin issue. You need sure. to be dealing with yeah. your character issue. And that's only done through training. Right. Um, but even then, I would say we all, we all, get help when we train, right? Like I think of people who are like, I've got my pre-workout and my post-workout. I'm not in the training world. So I'm like, cool, good for you, right? Right. So that's that's my limited experience of what people talk about to Mm -hmm. help them train. But if you think of it as sin issue, character defect, then I can see how people come to a place of like feeling like medication is a cop out. But if we see this as just simply a result of a broken and fallen world that we are now no longer perfect bodies, right? And that oftentimes pain has been inflicted on us by a specific person or by life or global events, then then we know that that, that is going to change our internal chemistry as well. Mm-hmm. And medication, I, I, I talked to somebody, I remember one time, and they were going, I guess it's just, you know, the medication, because I'm, I'm great now. Like, I can... I can think positively and I don't get trapped in this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I think, you know, due to the timing of this, I think the medications helped you, but you can cognitively cope and you can think positively and you can let things roll off your back because you have done the work to build those muscles in your brain. That's right. And so, yeah. So the, Mm -hmm. so the medication is, has cleared some of the fog that's happened. That's Yeah. You're right. But but the ability to do these other cognitive things and these have these skills, you you built those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So it's a very much a joint effort between mm-hmm. the medication cocktail that you are prescribed and the work that you have to put in. Otherwise, I mean, I would like this is kind of hard for me to know for sure what I would do, but I sometimes think I would like to take a medication that would make me not scared of food um, as much or the the, um, the effects of food on my body because that's very skewed mm-hmm. in my mind. Because that's not true, because that doesn't happen. When I went to treatment, I um, had to work very hard. Now... I took medicine in order to not be so anxious at the table around the food and everything. But as far as me needing to take that food in, that was up to me. Mm-hmm. And it was the hardest work I've ever done because it was repetitious and it was exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. And so when you do something like that time and time again, I ate over 400 meals there. And I'm just telling you, yes, the medicine took the edge off, but absolutely it was me needing to do that. Now, am I saying that to be like, oh, look what I did? No, I'm saying that I needed to choose to live. Mm-hmm. And the way that they 
basically the vehicle that was used for me to live were tools that I was taught there and actually the action that mm-hmm. goes along with that. So it does not, uh, it does not. And that yeah. that is very hard as somebody who struggles with several mental illnesses. It's so hard for me to hear that. It's just frustrating. Um, you're, it's not a an escape. Um, I'm very aware of what I'm doing. Um, but it does lift the fog, like you said, Phoebe. And, and I think it's so. Yeah. The analogy was great too, because just think about this. I mean, I can work hard with a fifty-pound backpack on my back, mm-hmm. but if I could take that back, that weight off, it's not that I'm just going to all of a sudden quit trying or doing something around that. Whatever it might be, I could just wow, I could get just I'm freed up to do more, to mm-hmm. to live more free, to maybe. The, the skills that I have become more productive because I've gotten rid of this huge weight off of me. Mm-hmm. And I think even that lifting of the fog, taking the weight, you know, taking the pack off, if medicine can do that, um, it just, yeah, it, it helps somebody in their, in their recovery. Mm-hmm. So, And the avenue to that is to see a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, some primary care physicians will prescribe. I'm, the term is psychotropic medications, um, but some will, some won't. Some will only do certain, you know, I only prescribe for anxiety and depression um, or something like that. So you'll have to talk to your provider. But if your primary care doesn't do that, um, there are lots of great psychiatric places. And now, I mean, one of the gifts of the pandemic was that telehealth is oh, so yeah. readily available. So if you live yeah. in a rural space and mm-hmm. can't get to the city to see a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. there's there's you know, hope for that now. Yeah. Speaking about anxiety, I think many people, this could be helpful for them to helpful for them to understand what is the difference or what are the similarities maybe between situational anxiety and clinical anxiety? And that might even be the correct terms, but thinking most everybody gets ang- anxious at some point in their life, right? Mm-hmm. Test tomorrow, job interview, big project at work, asking somebody out on a date, whatever it may be. And, and and so while there may be shared similarities, but but for that person that maybe not doesn't experience clinical anxiety, how can they better understand how that's different from just oh when they get nervous about some event about to happen, but then the event happens and that passes. So I think you described it really well there at the end that somebody with situational anxiety, there's a clear situation. Um, and that anxiety is uh, a part of our fear response, right? So if there's something that you're afraid of, will I make a good grade? Will he or she say yes whenever I ask him out? Those things, like there's actual fear there because there's actual risk there. Um, And so if your fear or anxiety is congruent to the risk that you're taking or the threat that you are going to encounter, and, and then after that situation resolves, your anxiety goes away. That's, that's a, that is how God made us, yeah. <laughs> like, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but if you are someone who um, the anxiety that you feel is often incongruent to the situation that you're about to encounter, and it's just there most of the time. I mean, the, the clinical diagnostic criteria um, it says something along the lines of, um, you experience anxiety most days, most of the day and most days of the week. Then, yeah, mm-hmm. then I'm about to teach differential diagnosis and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to really re-familiarize myself with all the very specific criteria. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, so that would be the main, uh, one of the main diagnostic criteria is feeling anxiety most of the day 
most days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm not going to diagnose you over a podcast, but sure. you can <laughs> you can look at that and um, see. In layman's terms, in mm-hmm. very basic layman's terms, is it almost like maybe it just gets anxiety kind of gets stuck at a certain mm-hmm. level, and it's where maybe in some instances it could turn on and shut off, like that you said the the normal times or the proper times as God made us, it 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 just kind of stays, and that's maybe generated by trauma experiences someone's had, just the world around us, but it's like we can't get that to turn off, and it just stays at that level. And to kind of rope it back around to medication, so what's happening in the brain is that your amygdala, which is like kind of in the center of your brain, that's uh, really one of the main players in the fight, flight, or freeze mm-hmm. response, which is our anxiety response, right, essentially. Right. Um, and by the way, I'm a fleer. Okay. okay. That is my, <laughs> that is my thing. Um, and so um, that, your amygdala, I like what you say, it just gets turned on and kind of stays on at a certain level instead of like peaking for the event and then coming back down. And so if we wrap it back around a medication, if my amygdala is not responding to cognitive behavioral therapy or me just doing, I mean, oftentimes we do cognitive behavioral therapy to ourselves, and we'll be like, it's fine. The thing is gone. It's, you know, and if it's not responding to that kind of thing, it might need some medication to help reset it. Mm-hmm. Or that might be where your amygdala is kind of stuck. And mm-hmm. I don't know that any amount of therapy could really get it back down to a good baseline level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you hit on, especially if you have like a long history of trauma, whether mm-hmm. that's slow drip trauma or, you know, one time major event trauma, mm-hmm. uh, then yeah, then like that's going to recalibrate how your amygdala functions. And oftentimes we need medication to recalibrate that mm-hmm. in the future. We may have different options, but right now that's one of the, right. one of the good ones. That's a, to- that totally makes sense because personally, um, it affects my hope mm-hmm. and everything. And so when I'm in a situation where I can see hope, I can see a light at the end of the tunnel, I'm more prone to know, okay, I can relax a little bit. I can know that this is going to end. Mm-hmm. And when it's clinical, I feel like, like you're saying, Phoebe, that I cannot get back to that base mm-hmm. on my own. And so um, those are, and when I don't feel like I can get to that base on my own, my I do get hopeless Mm -hmm. and so then the fight is even all that much harder then it goes to should I fight if that if I should how does that look and will it make a difference Mm -hmm. will I ever see the um, result of a hard fight and that's where some where I feel like a professional needs to really step in sooner than later and you make those choices to make that phone call to to do what you need to in order for that to happen. It does require an action. And then also to see if medication is something that you do need. Yeah, sometimes with anxiety, I can feel hopeless. Even scripture talks about when we do not have hope, Mm -hmm. we don't want to be here. Let's just keep going here. For someone who has a loved one or a friend struggling with anxiety, Phoebe, what would you say to them to help them understand what their loved one or friend is going through? I know that... If you haven't experienced it to a certain level that you're just like, I have no idea what to do. And that for that person feels very bad. So what can they do or say to help their their person in their life that is really struggling? I think 
One of the things that I like to kind of assess in people is what is your level of awareness about your own anxiety? Sure. Um, so to my friends that have a high level of awareness of their own anxiety, I can say, you know, I know you know these things, but I'm going to remind you of what is true here. Yes. And uh, I'm going to remind you to calm your body down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we, I think in our modern Western society, we want everything to go through our frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. And so if I can think the right thoughts, then everything will take care of itself. Uh, but God made us whole people, mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I need to take care of my mind, yes, in holding on to truth, but also my body. So like mm-hmm. what relaxes your body? Mm-hmm. If we go back to the amygdala and that fight, flight, or freeze response, that response and that that part of our nervous system is taking care of a lot of our automatic, uh, the the things that happen automatically in our body. So like our heartbeat and our breathing and our digestion. And so of those things, the thing that you can come in and directly hack is your breathing. Mm -hmm. I can't tell my heart to beat a certain amount per minute. Mm -hmm. I can't tell my stomach to digest, right? And the Mm -hmm. older I get, the more I'm like, why? Come on. Come on, let's go. (laughs) The slower Mm -hmm. it gets. That's right. Um, And so, uh, but I can control my breathing. And so Mm -hmm. if you can hack one part of the system, you can typically calm the whole system down. Mm. Um, And so that's also something that you can do in someone with high anxiety in the moment Mm -hmm. is to, to just go directly into the body. Okay, let's take a moment. Let's stop. Let's breathe together. The basics of breathing to calm yourself down is you want to breathe out longer than you breathe in. There's... There's no magic number, but just mm-hmm. breathe out longer than you breathe in. Mm-hmm. Um, so go, taking things directly into the body. And I think also like asking that person, what do you need from me right now? Mm-hmm. And sometimes giving them menu options. You know, do you need me to listen? Do you need me to remind you of truth? Do we need to stop and calm our bodies down? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you're in such anxiety that you're like, I don't, if I knew what I need, I would, I would I take care of it. it. Yeah. 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 And so sure. someone tell me what I'm. Give me, give me some options, throw them out there. And to, to know that like, this is really and truly how, what they're having anxiety about feels very true to them, mm-hmm. even when they know it's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just coming in and stepping in and not uh, disputing that truth too quickly mm-hmm. uh, can also be a way to connect. Um, so another way that we get our bodies to calm down is connection with other people. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's that's one of the things that I was going to say helps me so much is basically the ministry of someone sitting with me mm-hmm. and me not worrying that immediately after I calm down, possibly if I can get to that point in my thought process at that moment, of course I'm going to. But in that moment, if I know they're going to sit with me and just give me time to really calm down, they don't have to fix me. Mm -hmm. They can just sit with me and just go, okay, we're going to be okay. We're going to sit here until everything's okay. Or till your situation is calm to a a point where I can function. Mm -hmm. And um, that helps me so much. I've had friends before that, what, a long time ago, what good is it? to sit with you what's that about sitting with you how and I'm like you have no idea how much that helps to calm me down just to not sit and be alone Mm -hmm. first of all it takes a lot of options out of my mind Mm -hmm. because I have struggled with self-harm so much it really helps me just to know okay I'm not going to self-harm in front of this person 
Um, that's something that I totally do alone. It's a very private thing and it's a very sneaky thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm not going to do that while I'm sitting with this person. So that option is taken off the table. So it's kind of honing in on what needs to be taken care of instead of all of these options of um, that are that are really scary mm-hmm. are taken off the table for me. And so I just love it when someone will sit with me for a few minutes, maybe just I don't even have to be hugged on or anything like that. I don't push it away, but I don't even require that. Just sit in the moment. <laughs> so I know that is something so minor, but it really does help me. Does that make sense? Do you want to know the nerdy science behind that? Uh-huh. <laughs> I sure do. Okay, okay. Um, so when fight, flight, or freeze comes on, that is us accessing our dorsal vagal nerve. Okay. And so the vagus nerve is a big, long nerve that kind of wanders and meanders throughout the body, but it's connected like to your heart and to your stomach and to your bowels. So when mm-hmm. you get nervous or anxious, we often feel it in our chest, our stomach, or our bowels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your dorsal vagal nerve will come on whenever you feel anxious. But what turns on your ventral vagal nerve, so the front side, is social engagement. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so there is a bodily biological thing happening mm-hmm. when people are sitting in front of you and also to go to mirror neurons. So if someone's sitting in front of you and they are calm and they are connected, mm-hmm. your mirror neurons will start firing to be calmer and more connected. And that speaks to oh, what we've so we keep good. circling back to this <laughs> in this topic in this conversation but to the value of community and mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. and just thinking about for so many people what the heart of the pandemic really stole away from them mm-hmm. and why maybe that ramped up anxiety. Because mm-hmm. for so many, loneliness, but then that spilled into anxiety because they didn't have that person. Let me ask mm-hmm. you one follow-up to that. It's kind of for both of you. So, Stacy, I think in our experience, mm-hmm. it's helpful for me to really listen and I hope others are listening to what uh, what should I do, what should I not do? Because uh, I think at times I thought, oh, if I, sh- if, if I ask you, well, hey, what should I do? What can I do? That's communicating that I care and want to help. But for that person, like you said, Phoebe, I don't know what to do because if I knew I'd do it, that can almost add more stress. Mm-hmm. Like maybe don't go in like, well, just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do because they may not be able to answer that question in that moment. But if you kind of either in a non-anxious time or through study and prep, just kind of learning and, and caring enough to say, I'm going to learn ahead of time what to do, that may be the best approach mm-hmm. versus just trying to ask them. Because they may not be able to tell you, especially if they're really in the, the throes of it at that moment. I think one of the main things is just don't freak out with me. Yeah. Um, I I just have been in both situations where someone has been calm. So like what you're talking about that I didn't know existed, Mm -hmm. Phoebe, the mirroring um, of the emotions. And also I've been with somebody who's freaked out because they care so much about me. They just want to um, be able to help me get some control. And so um, that's one of the main things. Also, this is um, something that is not medical, but I pray for my friends all the time. I'm like, God, the people that you have in my community help them. Mm -hmm. Please help them. I, I know that it can be overwhelming to be with me or to be my friend. That does not upset me all the time. Sometimes it really does like the burden feeling and all those things that people with mental illness that I've talked to and I experienced on my own. 
is that I don't want to be a burden. That always leads me down a path that is not going to be sustainable and it is wrong um, because I never end up winning on that one. So I pray for my friends all the time. God, please give them wisdom on how to just be with me. Also, sometimes after the situation's over, I can verbalize. That was very helpful. Thank you so much for doing that. With the things that aren't helpful are a little more concrete for me, like don't freak out. Mm-hmm. The, the things that do help are a little more abstract for me because the triggers are just like firing and I don't always know until after the situation. And that situation may not ever happen again. So that thus, you know... I don't say the least I can do for my friends is pray. I'm thinking the most I can do for my friends is pray Mm -hmm. because they need wisdom at times and they're not trained professionals. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's okay, but um, they may need to get me to a trained professional. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the hard friendship. That's the hard thing that, you know, Doug has had to do um, on different occasions. That's just my experience. What about you, Phoebe? Um, Well, Doug, when you were saying this, I don't want to pick on the dudes, but I'm going to pick on the dudes. It's okay, because I can tell you, I've gotten the look before, and I know when I've gotten it, it's like, are you new here? So, you know, so, uh, so I, 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 I can understand. I think I've actually said that yeah. times before when I mean, I've been really frustrated yeah. and yes. really scared. Are you new here? We have, what, what, what are you, right? Yeah. So, um, I think for women, um, from what I hear from women, mm-hmm. uh, when their husbands look at them and they go, just tell me what to do, that is not necessarily received as love and care. Sure. Um, I Because women are often feel very, I mean, there's motherly does a lot of studies, lots of studies out there that women often carry the emotional burdens of their home. Mm-hmm. And so when they're breaking down for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it, they part of what they need is to not carry the emotional load of even themselves. Mm-hmm. And so when someone is asked, you know, when, when a husband asks a wife, what, what I'll do, whatever you need me to do, just tell me, he's saying, I'm putting the emotional burden back onto you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. so that is why, while I totally understand, I think most of the time it is sent in love. It is not always received as mm-hmm. love. Um, and so that's where going it's starting with calm and connection. Like I see, you know, just observation. I see that you're having a hard time right now and I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And, and just starting there and then reading the situation. Um, and, and that's where I think offering some suggestions versus just saying, I'll do whatever you need to help is good because it's like, Hey, I know that there are some things here and I'm, I'm here to be part of the problem solving. Um, and, and I've got some ideas for the problem solving. You're not totally responsible for that is I think what those options That's often so communicate. Good. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. And I can pick one, two, or three. Right. Whereas what is just so yeah. huge at that mm-hmm. moment, I just can't even begin to yeah. put it together. And Stacey, one thing you said about feeling like a burden to your friend really struck me because I think you are for sure not alone in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, whether they're struggling kind of more temporarily with a mental illness or this, you know, they first see this being their lifelong struggle, uh, feel like I just stress out my system so much, my my community and my system that way. Um, but I think we have to remember that other people feeling burden is not my responsibility. 
um, them feeling burnt out on me is actually not my responsibility because this is a relationship. And so their responsibility is to clearly communicate with me what they can and cannot do for me right now. Okay. And um, so I'm, I'm going to ask. Sure. I'm going to say I need you to come over. I need, you know, I, I need you to pick up my kid or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be because it's going to be your responsibility to say, that's not something I can do right now. Um, mm-hmm. But I would love mm-hmm. to pray for you or, you know, let me know when you've found somebody who can do that thing mm-hmm. um, and follow up. Well, I just forget that everybody's not hearing what I hear. Mm-hmm. And no, I do not see dead people. And no, I do not hear voices. <laughs> right. And I'm not saying that that is so far-fetched or anything. I don't want to come down on people who do, um, you know, hear voices and different things like that. I know that is a real diagnosis. But what I do forget is, is that Doug's mind is not screaming like mine is all day. Mm-hmm. He yeah. gets a reprieve mm-hmm. if it ever even happens at all. And so when I call a friend or when I call Doug or I call my sister or anything like that, or I text, you know, I reach out to my therapist or my nutritionist, they are coming from a totally different place mm-hmm. than me. And they, and I'll even say at the beginning, sometimes I feel like a burden. So like, let's just go ahead and dispel that. I love that. Um, I do feel like that. And they can reassure me, no, you're my friend. Mm-hmm. How can I help? Or where can I be? Or what do you, you know, not what do you need? Right. But sometimes they will ask I mean, that just out of not, not even, no, but now they're listening to this. They've heard, you know, from an LPC, you know, these are some options and everything like that. Because sometimes I've not even known how to explain that I can handle three questions as opposed to what. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a good, a better question if people don't have options is, do you know what you need right now? Ooh. Because that's just a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. That's great. So you're not just giving them a blank slate saying, here, draw this out for me. It's like, here's specifically yes or no. Here's some specific things. Mm -hmm. I think that's something I can really learn from, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Me, too. Phoebe, this has been, I mean, such great. I'm learning. I'm taking notes over here for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. But as as you talk to people and as you work with clients and, and patients and give counsel, what are some tools people can put into practice to help them manage their experience with anxiety? So the step zero is observation. Um, I think we like to, to jump into, okay, I'll start doing this tool, but that might not be the tool that you need. So when is your anxiety most triggered? Um, when do you actually feel calm? Like look for actual exceptions mm-hmm. um, and start to analyze that. If you are only feeling calm during like, numbing out things. Again, I am here for a good series on Netflix or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. We do need times where we're checking out. Yeah. Um, and our brains can turn off and calm down if your brain is capable of that. But if the only times that I feel calm and good are when I'm checked out, then we yeah. might need to find some other ways to be more engaged, but feeling calm. True. And you might think I just feel anxious all day long, but maybe you actually don't. You know, maybe there are some moments where you do feel okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking for those ex- exceptions and just observing first. Um, and then and then starting to address some of those specific triggers. Is this a trigger I even need to be encountering, right? Like if comparison on social media is your trigger, do you need social media right mm-hmm. now? You know, or can you eliminate all, all your following down to just the people who don't trigger you? Right. And so... 
you know, like, can we address specific triggers? Can we avoid it or eliminate it? Um, Mm -hmm. And then what are you saying to yourself? What's that self-talk sound like while you're in that situation that is triggering? Can we Mm -hmm. change that? Is it actually true? Um, I think scripture is a great way to start changing that because not only is it true, but it's, you know, more powerful than any two edged sword is what, uh, uh, the Bible tells us. So it's going to be not only anchoring you to truth, but it's also going to be powerful in a way that we can't even quantify. Um, so yeah. So can I avoid it? Can I, can I talk better to myself and like, who can I connect with? Um, during that time, who can be a calming presence in that with me? Well, and you know about scripture, what you're talking about, Phoebe, too, is I reference when I write blogs and different things like that, that if I can memorize the lies, then I can memorize the truth. Mm -hmm. And so there is space for that. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, there's endless space for that. So redoing that thought process in my mind does take effort. It does take practice, but it also can take memorization because I have got the lies down like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. So if I can open the door and just say, you know what, today I'm going to dare to believe a truth and memorize that truth. Mm -hmm. It is um, literally life altering. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, that's very, very powerful. I think scripture memory is a long lost discipline that we need to bring back. I do too. I do too. I've become very lax in it and it shows in my mental processing Mm -hmm. greatly. Phoebe, this, this next question is is similar to that, but, but for someone who's struggling with anxiety, Mm -hmm. how can they find help and hope? What would you encourage them to do or what are some steps they could take to me to, to find hope? So I think we talked about this at the very beginning Mm -hmm. and I think always keeping, you know, the, the ultimate end in mind that there will be a time when injustices are taken care of and sadness doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and like we, and, and to believe that like we are moving towards that despite the pain, right? Like if we go back to the birth analogy, like you are moving towards something that will hopefully be beautiful despite the pain. Um, And actually it is only through the pain that you get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think reframing suffering as well, that like suffering really moves to refine us Mm -hmm. if we want it to and if we let it. And so um, I think finding hope in in that reframe of like, there's another side to suffering and Mm -hmm. and it's going to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. As well as like, I mean, I think the theme that we weren't even thinking of is is finding community. So Mm -hmm. you had mentioned like your friends as well as like your nutritionist and your therapist. So your community looks like the people who you do life with on a daily basis, but it also looks like who are the professionals in my life that keep me on track. Um, I'm on a big kick right now of like, are we cannot, if our bodies are not supporting our mental health, then, then I can only take you so far. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm seeing that in people who, who, when they're in front of me, they can reason through something but their bodies aren't on board with dropping the anxiety. And I'm like, okay, there's something going on here. We need to look at nutrition. We need to look at hormones, things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can direct people there. I can point mm-hmm. people there. I can't really tell you what's going on there. And so, yeah. So, so what are the team of professionals that you need? Who are the people in your life that you need? Uh, and identifying like, these are my 3 a.m. phone call people and you don't need a ton of those. Yeah. These are my, you know, go hang out and have fun people. Um, so kind of even identifying the roles of each person in your, in your life um, so that you know kind of who to call for what. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think, you know, 
like that, that community can really give us hope. And something I learned this past spring, cause, cause this spring was like a little rough for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just looking at somebody in, in a lot of hopelessness. And I said, like tether to us, right? Mm-hmm. Like hold on to us because I can access hope right now mm-hmm. and you can't, and I get why you can't. Um, but if you will tether yourself to your community, like we will hold on to hope and we will hold on to you mm-hmm. until you can get there yourself. That's yeah. so good. That's so good. And I think that even as we, as you said earlier, Phoebe, um, it could be a waiting list. It could be tough to get in to see a therapist right now, but certainly uh, don't 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 give up on that. Don't I give mean, up. if you have never uh, reached out to receive professional help for anxiety or other mental health struggles you may have, you may be having. Do that. That mm-hmm. is something you need to do. Um, we strongly encourage that, and um, there is hope and help there. Mm-hmm. But there's also these other tools things we can build in our lives to really be um, uh, resources to us in these moments. Well, and you even touched on, Phoebe, um, with the with the professional, with the therapist, the nutritionist, just anything like that. If you do not have an opening, like you said, call, yeah. <laughs> call them back. Because um, what we've been telling people, if we refer someone to someone and they say, well, I can't even get them to call me back to refer me to mm-hmm. someone else who may have openings, mm-hmm. that feels like such a dead end. Mm-hmm. And when a person is finally to the point where they are willing to reach out, can you please keep that conversation going if even, you know, to another therapist, another therapist, until we do reach one that absolutely can you all help us in that. And so we really appreciate that when that can happen. And that's a difficult door for so many people. So I was having a conversation recently with a friend of mine who had just never kind of walked down this road. Mm-hmm. And, and he called me just to ask me a few questions and, and I think, you know, we've been in this journey for quite a while. Certainly as a professional therapist, you live in that world. But for someone that maybe has never reached out to get help, never, maybe never been in a position where they needed that kind of help before, they have a lot of questions like, well, what do I do? Where do I, where do I even start? Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for them to know between, you know, online resources, things like that. There's a lot of places to start. But if, if, if someone, your first outreach doesn't work out because of scheduling or whatever, don't give up there. There are other resources, like you said, telehealth. There's plenty of, of opportunities to connect mm-hmm. um, and, and pursue those till you find the right fix. But but it can feel a little bit like, I don't even know where to start and how do I do that? Mm-hmm. So so um, we'll, we'll share some resources. We're going to share Phoebe's contact information and resources on the podcast, some other resources um, of how you can just even you know start to find help possibly in your struggle, whether it be anxiety or even something else you want to talk to someone professionally about. And I would say for counseling, um, psychology today is where I always point people. So when people do reach out to me, which I've taken most of my marketing down because I was I was just turning people away sure. more sure. than anything else. Okay. So I just took all my marketing down. I was like, ah. um, mm-hmm. but psychology today is a great place to start. You can type in your zip code. You can narrow down your um, insurance what they treat. Um, you can read a profile. And um, when I was looking for a counselor for myself, I I knew, right? So I emailed five people. Mm-hmm. That was my thing is I was like, I need to find five people that I kind of like. And, um, you know, because yeah. you just never know. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, the person, I think maybe two of them emailed me back. And so, so that's, that would be my process of like, get on psychology today, narrow down all your, all of your things, Mm -hmm. um, of area and insurance and all that. Um, and an email or call five people Mm -hmm. and wait 
four to seven days and email or call back if no one's if no one's contacted you. Um, mm-hmm. We are counselors because we're great with people, not administrative things. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> sure. I would rather Absolutely. I would rather have a good people counselor than administrator. Sure. And Phoebe, let me let me. I don't want to be amiss in in sharing this with folks either. If if someone either themselves or maybe their loved one feels like we're at a crisis, mm-hmm. like this has really gotten bad and I can't wait for the phone call. I can't wait to get in to see somebody in a month. If, if someone's finding themselves in that position, what should they do? Um, so if someone is, if you feel like someone is a danger or a harm to themselves or others, like you need to contact 911 or take them to the hospital. If you think that they're a danger to somebody else, contacting the police is also um, probably needed, which we don't want to do. But um, you can also ask for a crisis intervention officer. They usually have extra training on that. Um, I actually saw a friend of mine who's in my field training some officers recently, and I was like, I'm so excited for yes, this. That's great. Um, I've never heard yes, of that. Yes, yes. So um, they're they're not always available, but it kind of gives whoever is uh, like connecting you to help. It kind of gives them an idea of what's going to be needed. And then also... I mean, this is something that I don't think a lot of people know, but like if someone won't come with you to go get help, like you, that's where I think 911 comes in and, um, you know, uh, they can send people over there to help. And sometimes it requires like an officer, uh, like taking you to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And, and I like to tell people that because I don't want anybody to be traumatized by that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want anybody to be shocked whenever they're in the back of a police car you know, going to a hospital because we kind of associate that with like you're in trouble, but it's mm-hmm. like you're you're in trouble, but in a different way, right? Like you haven't broken the law, but like you you were having a hard time and you need help, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, I always like to kind of warn people with that. Um, but yeah, I think that is why things like nine one one, things like the hospitals exist. It's not just for kind of the typical reasons either. And that's a big part of Stacy's in our story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we'd invite our listeners to go back even and listen to the, the, the pilot episode, which was really the first two episodes, because we really share that whole story from where we, we jumped, you know, we got into this road of mental illness and then recovery, you know, and I think many people find that there. They, they, they keep feeling like this isn't so bad, this isn't so bad, and hopefully you're stopping it along the way and getting mm-hmm. help. We really let it get to the place of this is crisis, this is immediate, the bomb has gone off on our family, and we're shell-shocked. And how do you check yourself into a mental hospital? Mm-hmm. And we're looking at each other. We're talking to our th- – we had a ther- outpatient therapist at the time. And, you know, the advice was go to the hospital. And we didn't really know where that would lead. It ended up getting us help and getting us to the right place. It's a long story. We're going to share more about that, um, probably even some in an episode later this season. Stacey and I are going to do a new kind of theme called um, Here's How It Happened. And we're going to share some fun things, but also some some serious things out of our journey that maybe can help others. If I break my arm, I know what to do, right? I know, to, or somebody around me knows what to do. I go to the ER, and I start there, and I get help. If you're in a mental health crisis, I think a lot of folks like, where do I go? What do I do? And the What's ER. the next step? Yeah, like, and and as I was saying that, I was going, I people probably even need more triage than what I just said. I think the ER is one hundred percent the place to start. Sure. Um, but just like with any crisis, if if it keeps developing and we can't get people there, yeah. that's whenever I would then 
uh, start to go to other emergency services. What are some things or what is something, Phoebe? We always end with this, and I know that life is so active that it can always be changing, but right now, what is something that it um, help is helping you experience hope right now? I am seeing a lot of opportunities just kind of expand for me. Um, I love seeing people one-on-one. I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. But really my heart is to see the church integrate mental and emotional health into discipleship. Um, and so, uh, and, and getting to teach uh, future counselors, um, I'm getting to uh, kind of integrate that for them, uh, as well as opportunities to speak on that subject of integrating mental and emotional health into our discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so I think as a professional, I've always loved going, here's the best, just like what we're doing here, you know, here's the best education from the therapy office and let me bring it to, to more people. Um, because I think that there are people who can be helped with just education Um, And they don't need to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think that education can also make people aware of the help that they do need, which is which is why I do this podcast. Right. Like I'm not here to diagnose you. I'm not your counselor. Mm -hmm. This is not medical advice. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do want to bring awareness and education to people. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting more opportunities to do that. So that's bringing me a lot of hope. That's so good. You always look so happy when you talk about either your family mm-hmm. or getting to do more things professionally. And Phoebe, you have such a way with doing that. I have had several therapists and not many, but several. They've just been long term. And I'll tell you, your ability to use word pictures is it helps me every time. I'm just like, I owe you so much money. (laughs) So but um, we just I love seeing that joy in you and show up on your face when you realize that what God has, you know, brought you to is is exciting. Mm -hmm. It's very Mm -hmm. exciting. So I love that. Well, and that's, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, our purpose as a podcast is to share hope and encouragement for those who struggle with mental illness, with mental health, and for those who love and support them. Mm -hmm. And so for me today, just me personally to do this episode and be part of this conversation with the both of you, I am leaving encouraged. I am leaving feeling more equipped. Mm -hmm. And so I know that if if I'm feeling that way, being part of this conversation, Mm -hmm. that for those that are going to have a chance to listen to this, that that hopefully for for them as well and for you listening, you are you are experiencing our purpose today. So I'm really excited because I feel like and I and I think all of our episodes we accomplish that, but I really am excited to get this episode out there because I think, man, we 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 have we've accomplished that purpose through this this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so Phoebe, we thank you. Yes. For our listeners, thank we are so, so thankful much. for you listening in, for joining this conversation. Mm-hmm. And we we do hope. We hope you are feeling that that hope and encouragement. And two, feeling more equipped. Just that I think we feel equipped and better when we know I know what to do. I don't feel so lost because I have felt lost in this journey. And to not feel lost is a much better place. Well, we want to share with you several resources that Stacy and I are really excited about. Some things that have recently come online that um, we've been working hard at. And probably first of those is our new website. Yes, and I am so excited. Yes, about that. and so um, just recently released in the last few weeks. It's speakoutloud.me.me. What we told our our website developer was we would love a one-stop shop where if you want to connect with us on the podcast, if you want to connect with Stacy and find access to her book, whether it's the printed copy, the audio version, if you want to learn more about how how do I connect with Stacy and, and maybe reach out to her to come speak to my group, to my event, to my church, 
any number of those things. Stacy does a blog pretty faithfully. You know, we wanted to create a website that you can just go to one place and find those resources. So speakoutloud.me is that. I think we're, we're so thrilled with the work our website developers done. We've just told her over and over again we think it's beautiful. Um, we've gotten so much encouragement, even just these last few weeks, on, on the website. So check that out. Share it with others who might need that resource. But uh, it's a great place to go and just kind of find all things that are connected to Speak Out Loud and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, Stacy, how might they also connect with us on social media? Yeah, we would really, really appreciate it if when you listen to a podcast or you go back to listen to some past ones, if you would go on, if you would share, give a rating, if you would share, if you would give it a review. We have found overwhelmingly that this is the way for the podcast to get out. If you will share it, please, please do that. Um, You may not even know that someone in your life is going through something really difficult. They may not be to the point where they are sharing that. But if you get on there and you share it, then they can know about it and and learn more. Also, um, I wanted to let y'all know, Something super exciting is, is that in November, on November 11th through 13th, I've been saying this on my story, that with Women of Merit, I'm going to get to share several times on that weekend, and it's here local, and so many times uh, I'm speaking to people I don't know, um, whether it be doctors or just a group of, you know, people that I will never really see again. It is such my joy to get to speak to people that I will get to see again and maybe that I even get to do life with. So if you would please look up Women of Merit, you go on and there's registration, all the things, talks about the details of it. If you will touch all the um, speakers' faces, (laughs) you will be able to get a little bit of a bio. I would love to get to share what God's doing in my life that weekend with you. Also, I would like to get to hug you. Because some of you who come, I will already know. And I would love to meet some of you who have been following Speak Out Loud for quite some time. Also, follow us, please, on Instagram and Facebook. We are now just having one page on Instagram, one um, page on Facebook. So it's super easy. Um, we would just love your feedback. We would like to know what, more of what you would like to hear about. If you have any questions, be reminded that we are not professionals, but that we do answer every single um, text that we get or DM that we get uh, after it's gone through a little process to make sure it's okay for me to receive that. Um, We care about you. We want to serve you in any way that we can, that we are qualified to. If we are not qualified, we will point you in the right direction, and um, we have no problem doing that. The main thing is, is we want you to have a healthy healthy, hopeful um, experience in life. And so that's, that's right. what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and for Women of Merit, that's taking place in Norman, Oklahoma, that mm-hmm. weekend, uh, November 11th through 13th. So mm-hmm. if uh, for those of our listeners maybe outside of the Oklahoma City area, mm-hmm. it, it is a conference center. We're lodging uh, as part of the conference and provided. Mm-hmm. So we'd love for you to check that out and, and get to hear Stacy in person. Great. Well, we are so thankful. Phoebe, again, thank, thank you, you again. This has been a wonderful, <laughs> some wonderful time with you. And um, we were actually talking about, it was before we were started recording today, another episode later this season where we may have Phoebe interview Stacy. So stay tuned for that, and that'll be coming down the road. But uh, we can't wait to share that with you. For now, God bless you guys. We'll look forward to talking to you and, and hearing from you next week. <laughs>